Uh, good day and welcome to another of our podcasts. Um, today we have in the studio with us uh, Julian Gerke, CTO of LSD Open, and Chris Mulder from Red Hat. Uh, LSD Open is a company that builds, manages, and runs hybrid multi-cloud Kubernetes uh, platforms, which allows teams to build applications faster. And we all know Red Hat, you know, you provide open source software for enterprises. Gentlemen, welcome to the studio today. Good to have you here. Thank Thanks you very so much. Yeah. Great. Um, so today we're going to be talking about a very interesting topic called platform engineering and internal developer platform. Um, and obviously we, we operate in this very advanced world of software development of cloud and hybrid platforms. And there's, there's been a massive proliferation of tools. Um, and, and in fact, it's been an exponential growth in these tools which is great on the one hand, but on the other hand, it creates lots of complexity and um, an overhead for software professionals. Um, and the approach of, of building a platform called an internal developer platform is really a way of solving that problem. And I think that's what we want to focus on today. And, and that's the conversation I want to have with you two gentlemen. So I think to start off with, and please, either of you are welcome to jump in, uh, let's start with what is an IDP or what is an internal developer platform? So, Julian? Yeah, I'll, I'll, you I'll, I'll take a shot. Um, and thanks, Jadav. Yeah. Um, so, an internal developer platform is effectively really all about um, the speed at which you can get software out to customers. So, um, it really comprises of three core characteristics at the, at the end of the day. Self-service, so developers need to be able to access some kind of portal, whether it's a web UI or you know a, an API. They need to be able to get what they need. So I need infrastructure. I need you know a Kubernetes cluster. I need a scaffold. You know based on my organizational standard, and it needs to also impose or at least provide some standards uh, from an organizational perspective. So if you think about um, historically, where you know DevSecOps. Um, becomes kind of siloed and federated out across different product teams in a large organization. And IDP really centralizes a lot of that capability um, with the, you know, the sole intent to pretty much remove developer cognitive, cognitive toil and give them a, a golden path to take their software, their feature, get it out into production into their customers' hands. So yeah, and then of course, um, I would say the last kind of core piece is because you're choreographing the uh, supply of software to your customers, you're getting the app into the app store, um, you've got the opportunity to not only build in standards, but kind of make security and supply chain security a first-class citizen as part of that, you know, that golden path. Mm. So it really comprises, like, I wouldn't say it's the centralization of DevSecOps, um, it's more about uh, business acceleration um, and being able to you know, allow developers to do what they need to do, focus on you know, the business logic, getting the feature out, um, and, and kind of abstract away all of the other core pieces underneath. No, thanks. Chris, you want to add anything Yeah, to that? pretty much. I mean, I think to add to what Julian's been saying, we, we as, as Red Hat Citizens, like we, we're fortunate enough to have a lot of good interaction with our customers. And, and a lot of this is coming in, in feedback. And, and everybody's sort of grappling with the same issues these days. It's like there's a skills crunch happening. Um, you know, budgets are tight and yeah. the need to deliver quicker and innovate faster is, 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 is pantomount at, at this point in time. So, you know, the, the pressure is on on the developers and, and, and Julian spoke about this 
cognitive load sitting on these guys uh, at the moment. Now, internal developer platforms is kind of this, this evolution of, of everybody seeing, okay, what works? How do we get everybody productive very, very quickly? But also, you know, in those cases where you, you compound it by skills um, or, or, or restricted by the skills, um, you have an opportunity to establish something that really amplifies your, your engineering capability. So, you know, where your developers are outnumbering your ops and your security people, uh, these practices with a developer platform allows you to kind of almost codify the institutional knowledge and make it as, as consumable to the developers and onboarding them. Mm-hmm as quickly as possible. And it's really, like you say, it's it's an evolution. You know, because in, in this world, we've got so much tools now. I sometimes say more tools than common sense. <laughs> um, you know, and this, this, is, this is a way for you to say, okay, this is how we work and remove the complexity and the friction from your developers because those are the guys that need to innovate for the business and get the new stuff out there. Yeah. At the end of the day. You know, there's that old cliched phrase <laughs> of doing more with less. It seems it's still valid today. It was valid 20 years ago when I was running IT shops. Uh, it's, still, it's still valid today. Uh, but clearly what you're describing now is not just for software developers. You know, It plays through to a number of different roles in the broader IT department. Don't you want to just elaborate You know, who would be interested in an IDP kind of approach? Sure. So from, from that, I think, I think it's... It, it, cuts across a number of different disciplines. Um, you know, as, as Julian said, a lot of times you have siloed businesses or, or siloed groups within a, an organization. Um, you know, and often other times you, you're also sharing certain resources in terms of how do we do things. So it definitely, it isn't the end consumer of an IDP is a developer, but the participants in it is, is, is across. It's it's a, your operations people, it's your security people being able to contribute their best practice and best knowledge into mm. this centralization. You know, and even to a certain extent, line of business. There's, there's no reason why non-technical line of business people would not also be contributing into this um, you know, from a domain expertise uh, at the end of the day. So it's really one single place to, to aggregate knowledge for the consumption by the people building the software. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think I think you know Chris kind of nailed it. it. It really does flow across. You know, I mean, it extends beyond a product team um, into you know everything from architecture or almost up to you know an executive level. And if you think about where DevSecOps kind of where, where it's really successful, um, you know, it's it's pretty much buy-in from the top down because it's a bit of a culture cultural shift as well as technology shift, capability shift. Where IDPs kind of move is. Um, as opposed to having this notion of a, you know, a, a, a DevSecOps full-stack unicorn that not only is writing the code, but also building out CICD pipelines and handles a lot of that. And it's kind of, you know, like I said before, siloed. Um, you have a notion of a platform engineering team who ultimately would be, you know, the custodians um, developing the IDP. So developing the internal developer platform, which sounds kind of, you know, <laughs> a bit iterative, but... Um, they effectively are taking feedback from the entire organization. At the end of the day, uh, the organization's you know, product teams and software developers are their customers, and they need to make sure that they're accommodating their customers in terms of making, you know, availing what, what they need and then kind of effectively driving down all the cognitive toil and making those golden paths accessible. But realistically, everyone from architects um, through to, you know, uh, I guess, whoever's making risk decisions at the end of the day 
could participate um, and have an influence in an IDP um, because it really does touch you know, the flow of supply of software out to customer. And I think, you know, if you think about most modern organizations, you know, that are omni-channel, software is really going to be, you know, a lot of their touch points in terms of digital channels. So it's really controlling supply of value to customer. And that's why it's, you know, as Chris rightly said, it, you know, it covers, you know, the entire organization in a lot of, in a lot of regards. You know, it's interesting, you know, if I go back in the day, a decade ago, you know, yes, yeah, software was always important, but it's almost taken on a whole new meaning now. And, and the, the delivery of that software really means materially different things for the business and their ability to perform in the marketplace. Whereas back then it was more support function than anything else. And, and I like to kind of think about it like this. You know, if you're, a, I mean, you look at it you know, at a kind of, at a certain point of scale and inflection point, if you're an enterprise, um, and, and most enterprises are omnichannel. If you're a telco, you've also potentially, you know, you're bundling services, you're a retailer, you might be an insurer, you might be becoming a bank and you don't even realize it. And yeah. the same applies to banks there. Everyone's kind of, you know, um, spreading across multiple different verticals. Uh, and what's enabling that is actually, you know, they're all digitizing and driving through digital channels. There's web, there's mobile, there's chat now, there's potentially, you know, API, a lot of successful API marketplaces have launched domestically. If you look at NetBank and MTN, um, even if you think of yourself as a traditional brick and mortar retailer, your logistics, your supply chain, your, your you know, in-store experience, um, all of that is actually, you know, is really about software you're delivering. And I mean, we're having conversations with customers around using things like, you know, single node OpenShift out at the edge mm. uh, so they can quickly and rapidly, you know, well, the next thing we want to do is install vision. And we want to see where customers are spending most of their times in the aisles and being able to do that with modern software and microservices and things like OpenShift. Um, you know, unlocks a lot of those capabilities and business agility. So at the end of the day, um, software is really the supply of value in like, you know, a lot of, a lot of different contexts. Yeah, I, I touched earlier on about what LSD Open does and, and what Red Hat does, but how do the two of you work together as companies? Maybe just share a little bit about that, please. So, Jadev, as, as, as Red Hat, um, in, in this region and actually in the, on the whole continent, um, we work exclusively through a partner channel. So unlike a lot of other vendors uh, of enterprise software or equipment, um, where some of them would do business direct, some would do through partners or whatever, we are completely channel focused. So we, we drive the channel through our distribution partners and then ultimately through our uh, specialist partners uh, such as LSD. And they are an absolute crucial part of our ecosystem and especially of our go-to market um, because we, we operate a lean and mean team in South Africa. And the only way we get to scale when we talk people scale is through the partner channels. So, so they are absolutely crucial to us from that regard. Um, you know, and they, we, we do a lot of events together. Uh, we, we jointly as, as say an LSD and a Red Hat, we, uh, host events for customers or do launches of new products. I think we did one not too long ago um, on an update on newer releases of OpenShift. So it's it's a crucial, and we, we put quite a number of resources around that. So with you know, dedicated partner marketing um, for that and certain technical resources and uh, administrative resources in our organization being specifically focused on the partner channel on that. So our success is their success and their success is our success at the end of the day. 
Yeah, so you clearly work very closely with each other. I mean, yeah, I think uh, I think the LSD Redout partnership, I think it goes back just. I mean, we started in two thousand and one, and I think our partnership is you know going that long. Well, just about. I mean, it's you know longest running, uh, our longest running uh, partnership by a, by a country mile, and I think a lot of that is actually underpinned by the culture and ethos that um, you know. Uh, Red Hat, that's just kind of, you know, integral and part of Red Hat and, and how they've evolved. And I think we've been on that similar evolution and journey, you know, the start of Linux in the enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of when my career began and I mean, it was all Red Hat you know, displacing Solaris mm-hmm. and HPX and uh, saw that evolution into the middleware space with JBoss and kind of LSD's kind of been part of that. And then, of course, around 2015, was when we had our, did our first OpenShift project for one of the large insurers. It's actually a Red Hat case study. And moving into cloud-native, modern app, microservices, and really seeing how things have evolved. And, um, you know, I think we, you know, really credit to Red Hat's as kind of being, you know, they set the templates and, and we follow along. But I think it is a, a very much a, you know, uh, I wouldn't say beyond just a mutually beneficial relationship. It's, a, it's one where I think the cultures are very much um, well-matched yeah. aligned, yeah. That's great to hear because clearly you guys have worked very well together and probably will continue to do so going into the future. Certainly hope so, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, In in our prep session yesterday, um, we mentioned this project called Project Janus. Um, Don't you want to elaborate on that for us, please, Chris? Sure, yeah. So as Red Hat, everything that we do, we do out in the open. Um, And when I say out in the open, it's it's always driven by community. I mean, we have our roots and we still do have it in open source software. And what Red Hat has built their business on um, is is providing enterprise-grade platforms, but based on open source software. So Janus is just another iteration of that. Um, where this idea of the internal developer platform came from is that it was hatched at Spotify originally. It was a tool they built internally. They saw an immense amount of value and being altruistic as they, they were at the time, they published that out to the, the big world um, and open sourced it in that. And that was, uh, in the community, it's known as, as Project Backstage. Now, what we did with, with Janus is to, to, to set up a, a bit of a midstream, as we'd like to call it. So Backstage is upstream and Janus would be midstream. Um, but a community where people that really want to build out additional capabilities to to what that code base is already can come together and participate. You know, and we're bringing some of our expertise into that. What we know about our products like container platforms and OpenShift and Kubernetes, we're contributing a lot of those skills into new capabilities for Backstage, um, which is all housed under the Project Janus um, notion. So Backstage will always be the open source product and it's going to be the bleeding edge and move very fast and then Janus will be the midstream where the community will come together and stabilize and, and add additional capability um, on that. And that's that's our drive into, into this new world of um, internal developer platform. Yeah, no, no, thanks. Thanks for that. I'm just going back to the concept of the IDP and you know, I was trying to draw a parallel between the IDP versus more traditional approaches that we've seen up to now. So where to draw comparison and look at what were the benefits of IDP. And I think you spoke about some of them earlier on. Maybe just elaborate on that, particularly if you know a CIO is listening or 
a software software development head or software development leader, even ops or infrastructure people. You know, let's talk to them about what are the benefits of going towards an IDP. Right. Um, so I think um, you know what uh, what's really being sold for here, as I said, is um, a number of things that I think have historically been difficult to um, inculcate as a large organization trying to modernize and uh, trying to drive, you know, cloud native architectures or what we're seeing more and more is cloud any architectures. So how you really can enable, you know, hybrid cloud. Um, and a lot of what's underpinning that is Kubernetes at the end of the day, mm. whether it's in your data center, whether it's in, you know, a hyperscale of your choice, um, preferably, in, you know, an enterprise supported, you know, distribution like OpenShift. Where you, which you can run across uh, across any hyperscaler, what that gives you is a parity, uh, basically a parity substrate. So I have a, uh, a service that I need to run in data center. Potentially, I need to take it into cloud. I need to scale it out. I need to move it across regions, and I can do that uh, with 100% parity and a lot of mobility using Kubernetes as the orchestrator and containerization as effectively the delivery mechanism and the final artifact that runs my service. What an IDP does, uh, like Project Janus is it effectively provides um, a very quick and, I would say, opinionated way for developers to get their code into a container, containerized image and um, effectively run through a software supply chain, which is everything from I'm going to build the code, I'm going to test the code, I'm going to scan it for vulnerabilities, I'm going to sign it so I know the software provenance, mm. I might generate a software bill of materials, which will detail everything that's kind of gone into it, and then ultimately I'm going to deploy it out. Uh, and then kind of concurrently, it also allows developers to iterate very quickly. So while they're actually coding in their IDE, they can literally you know, save the code as opposed to even just commit it into a repo and have it changed out live in a development OpenShift cluster, for example. So those would be the core pieces. It, it, you know, who's deciding how the supply chain gets choreographed and what the golden path from IDE to production looks like is really the job of, you know, ultimately the platform engineering team, but, you know, security is coming along for the ride, architecture, mm. uh, all those pieces that, you know, release engineers, et cetera. So, so effectively you, you're dealing with the end-to-end lifecycle. Exactly, yeah. 100% that. And, 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 and I think importantly and crucially, your developers never have to think about Kubernetes or think about CICD or worry about DevSecOps or have to wrangle, you know, YAML or Helm. We spoke about exactly that, yeah. that. It's abstracted yeah. away. Ideally, it's kind of integrated straight into the IDE. So they're just spending time building but, the, but the feature. But for the benefit that I'm seeing, and please just validate it, there's almost consistency that's happening as you iterate through this process. You know, you uh, don't take one iteration uh, this way. I'll give a great, ex I'll give a, a quick note and then stop monologuing. But what, what we've seen firsthand, like out at the customer call phase is, you know, the second DevSecOps is always an afterthought and quite hard to actually bring into the equation. You know, you've got InfoSec teams that are kind of used to traditional security. The second you start moving into the cloud native sphere and it's containers and it's Kubernetes and it's distributed systems <coughs> and, and architectures that are, you know, potentially spread across the globe, um, you know, a lot of the traditional security controls are kind of, you know, I would say struggling to catch up. And, and of course, InfoSec teams are also struggling to, you know, inculcate with the newer, you know, newer uh, controls and, and ways of securing cloud native ecosystems. What the IDP gives you is the opportunity to bring security in as a standard mm. and as a first principle and define those gates that have to be crossed. So it, it pretty much solves a lot of those issues out the gate. You've got it standardized and built in. And it, even things down to software quality, you can impose test coverage requirements, you can impose things like code smells and cyclic complexity and all sorts of strange things. But it's right there and you've got the opportunity to, you know, to implement what you need. And of course, 
you can accommodate different use cases. And so you've got some flexibility yeah. as well. I mean, it gives effect to the, to the statement of secure by design. Right. I mean, I mean, I know IT teams talk a lot about secure by design, but it's not always implemented consistently, and and uh, you're always going to get that fragmentation between developers and and ops people, etc. And, and this kind of brings it yeah. together very nicely. Uh, I don't know, Chris, if you want to add anything. Yeah, to I mean, that. I, I think Zaydev, you summed it up. I mean, the holy grail, you know, coming from a, a software development background, is is you're always trying to achieve some sort of consistency, right, and repeatability yes. and predictability in the way you, you deliver anything. Because any developer will tell you, like, you know, code is great, but it doesn't mean anything until it's in production. Working, and delivering that's, value. <laughs> that's, that, that's, it's often that last mile is, is where most of the time gets spent, right? It's, mm. it's probably 20% of the, the, the time, but it requires 80% of the effort in terms of de- delivering that. And uh, I, a couple of months ago, I gave a talk on, on removing friction from developers and, and developer processes. And I, I feel that adoption of, of, of IDPs and, you know, in principle and methodology and, and platforms is one of those things that really I would have been able to sum up that talk in do this, right? Because this will take away a lot of that friction mm. if you apply it, you know, but still making sure that you do the right things. As Julian said, you know, we, we speak about shift left in the industry when it comes to security. And now a lot of people think shift left means is that I'm tossing security responsibility over the wall back to the developers. Developers aren't security experts, right? They don't understand compliance like PCI or you know, what it means to be FIPS compliant or, or, or even other regulatory requirements. But if the domain expertise can take their knowledge and bake it into a system that helps get the development code into production, you know, then it is exactly like you say that. It's secure by design, but it's also right by design mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Yeah, it's, it's a point I wanted to cover later on, but it's very appropriate to cover it now. And It's about those timeframes and the timeframes are shrinking because obviously business and, and commercial teams and sales teams are asking for more functionality, more capability, more products. And they, and they keep complaining about how long it takes to get stuff out the door. Just talk us through about what the value is of putting an IDP and how that speeds up those life cycles, I think, of getting software to production. Well, I think, you know, there's, there's a saying that goes is that the faster you want to go, the better your brakes need to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about allowing the organization, and we, we won't necessarily just focus on developers because everybody is contributing and it has a benefit to everybody. Um, but it's allowing the organization to get through that that factory process of innovation out to their customers much, much, much quicker. Yeah. You know, traditionally if you if you brought a new hire into your business, you probably spent six weeks just orientating them on the systems and where everything is. You know, now you can have a developer start in the morning provision on the IDP, read all of the co- collective documentation, understand the systems, and be able to cut code by the afternoon. You know, so, so from a, a turnaround time impact on cycles, there's, there's going to be a huge impact if applied properly. But also, you know, as we said, everybody's under pressure. So ops and security 
Security guys are outnumbered probably 100 to 1 in any organization, mm. uh, you know, with dev and ops guys. But even your, your, your platform engineers or your traditional infrastructure engineers, these guys are also pretty much outnumbered. And they have to spend so much time just keeping the lights on and kind of delivering their services to their internal customers. And this is why, again, it's, 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 it's removing friction from that process in the organization. Yeah, but you know, I think it, it, I, I agree with you, but I also want to look at the, the kind of business aspect of it to say I can get product out a lot faster for, for them to go to market a lot faster because I know I've been in cases where you know, they say, how long will it take? Well, it's going to take me three months <laughs> or six months to get a feature out or a product out. Yeah. Um, and that just allows them to become a lot more agile in the marketplace. Yeah, and I think, I think Chris, Chris nailed it. Um, you know, I've personally heard of stories I've seen um, we're just getting a, a new Git repository created. It can take weeks. You know, it's a ticket ops, and so that's a real. You know, that that kind of overhead is real, operational overhead of just time to live for a developer. Um, but as I was saying, kind of hearkening back to that notion of, you know, if the supply of value to your customer is how quickly you can get new features into their hands, how quickly you can update your app or you know, uh, update your website. Um, that that means that you know it's the same applies to your competitors, and if they're getting features faster to market, uh, beating you with new capability, or just even you know getting getting to new markets and, and new opportunities faster than you, then you're losing. So kind of the velocity at which you can actually drive you know your software supply chain is actually kind of underpinning you know how successful your and how yeah. competitive your business is going to be. So and I think like you know we're talking about platform engineering and IDPs and. Uh, you know, across, you know, I would say a lot of the more progressive internet scale companies, the fangs of this world, they've kind of realized this, you know, a good decade ago, you know, certain, you know, and talking about Spotify, I mean, they're, they're open source uh, backstage quite a, quite a while ago. They really kind of cottoned on to, well, there will be other streaming services that are going to come and come after us and they're going to have certain things that will compete. And, you know, if we can make our supply chain of features um, as quick as possible, and we can we can get to market faster. Because at a certain point of scale, you're all building the same thing. It's just who's yeah. getting them, who's getting the first no, you know, first to market. It becomes a differentiator. It becomes a massive differentiator. And that's I think the core of you know an internal developer platform um, is you know if you get it right, <coughs> it means that you can get first to market. And not only that, but you can keep supplying value quicker, faster, with better quality, uh, more securely. Um, yeah, and you ha you have all those. You know, you've got good breaks as well, which is I think is also important. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. I think over time what we'll also see is that you know, something like that will become part of the feedback loop um, you know, for, for, for the line of business themselves um, you know, as, as, a, as a central point of being able to collect metrics. I, I can see this coming where it'll, it'll be the aggregation point of understanding, okay, how long did it take to, to get infrastructure up in place? What's the cost of that in infrastructure? What was the, the, the cost of development? Um, mm. You know, which ultimately, if you, if you are selling software again or features or whatever, becomes a cost of sale and you, and you can measure your cost of sale. So yeah. I think as, as, as these mature, it's going to become the central point of, of collecting those metrics and seeing, you know, I spent X amount on a feature. What is the return on that investment? Uh, am I in the right track or should I change or pivot to something else in that space? Absolutely. No, thanks for that. Um, I just want to shift to um, kind of organizations at different stages of their journey to the cloud. Um, you know, if I was a CIO or a software development um, head, 
uh, and I start thinking about how would I use an IDP, and, and I just kind of sketch two extreme scenarios, and there's many in between. You know, I'm still on-prem, um, starting to dabble with cloud, still not sure exactly what I want to do, and on the other extreme, I'm cloud native, I'm already pushing pushing the boundaries. Give me, give me kind of scenarios of how they could both exploit the IDP. That's a good question. I think, you know, from a perspective, and, and, and it maybe speaks to our philosophy that we've adopted in Red Hat and, and one of our key business strategies is that we need to understand that our customers are probably going to be hybrid all the time, uh, meaning that we need to meet them where they want to work, irrespective of whether they are still in their own data center or in a private data center, private cloud, or you know, all in on a hyperscaler. It mm. shouldn't really matter in, in terms of that. And with moving in between those, and I think you know, if you if you are a digital native and a cloud native organization, you've probably built your team around understanding exactly that platform. Um, but do you understand what the impact of change is? If, if for whatever reason you need to move off of that platform, what is that impact to people, time, and cost at the end of the day? Uh, you know, so, so this idea of being hybrid first is probably taking on. And you know, by abstracting away those implementation details, or as I often call it, the plumbing, from the people that are building the value, it shouldn't matter, really. It should just be somebody who can make a decision to say, well, today it makes sense to, to run 50,000 transactions in the cloud because it's probably going to be cheaper. Um, and tomorrow we move it back into the data center. Those platforms will become that abstract layer where the developer wouldn't care. The developer just specifies and opts say, this is what the shape of this application needs to look like when it runs. And the plumbing underneath that takes care of making sure it lands on the best possible platform at the time based on the business strategy. Um, yeah, I would, I would almost um, address both with a kind of singular answer. And it's, you know, my, my uh, core advice would be don't, don't try and hand roll, um, you know, something like this. Um, consider, you know, I guess, you know, to Chris's point, obviously consider the lock-in, but you know, there's, it's, a, it's a journey um, that you're embarking on. It does take skill. Um, what will accelerate it is, is picking something that is, you know, fit for purpose, where a lot of the decision-making and core engineering and support is available. So, you know, an open shift as a substrate, a Janus as your IDP, where you've effectively got probably about 85% of the way there mm. just by making those decisions. Um, and you've got that parity substrate, which you can run anywhere. So I would definitely say, I would definitely advise, you know, against... It's a bit of tilting at windmills if you, you know, like I'm going to go hand roll my own Kubernetes and then my own backstage. Um, it's akin to saying, you know, we need to run Linux. Uh, let me start compiling a kernel. Like, no, go get Red Hat Linux and just run it. Yeah. Um, so I do think, you know, select software well, um, you know, select good vendors. And I think, you know, Red Hat is kind of very much a forerunner in the space, if not kind of the leader. Um, and then secondly, I would, I would say, you know, it is a journey. Um, it's something, it's an, you know, just like DevOps was, you know, uh, kind of a bit of a cultural shift and you needed executive buy-in. I do think the same holds true where organizations have been very successful with IDPs. You know, uh, Mercedes has a great use case, but I mean, you know, Spotify, Netflix, Google, you know, SRE is kind of uh, a similar concept. 
um, it's something that you, you need to consider your end users, you need to consider the standards, you need to consider the different teams, the different personas are going to be involved. Um, and it's going to be iterative. You know, you're going you're gonna to start and you're going to evolve uh, over a period of time. And you'll get that adoption, ideally, organizationally, um, over a period of time. Um, so I think just go in with that mindset of, you know, you, you, you're going to start and it's going to be uh, a learning curve. But as you evolve, the value and the acceleration and the value stream uh, will kind of start to, it'll, you know, it'll just start to uh, embed itself yeah. in the value stream. So, so it doesn't matter where you are in the journey, you know, start embracing it and, and I do th- the yeah, I do think that, um, you know, you can, you can definitely leapfrog a lot of the hard technology decisions by, mm-hmm. you know, going with an OpenShift, going with the Janus. Yeah. Um, you've, got a, you've got a lot of the, the thinking done for you already. And it comes down a lot of conversations that, that I've had probably in the last 12 months around this because we've seen an, an, an immense amount of momentum around cloud native building now recently. Um, you know, and the one question you always have to ask yourself is like, yeah, everybody's a software company these days, right? So software is integral to the functioning of pretty much every business. But you have to make the decision, is, is your business innovating and delivering mm-hmm. value to the customer? Or is your business building a platform? You know, and in some cases, the answer will be yes. I am building a platform because that is my differentiator. You know, but when building a platform becomes the thing that creates that friction to the rest of the business innovating, then you might need to take a long, hard look and say, well, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this where I need to spend an enormous amount of effort and people's skill to to kind of build this, or? Do I get something that's got everything I need and just allows me to get on with the business of innovating? Okay, thanks. Um, we spoke a little bit about security right at the beginning, but you know, haven't really touched on it, and no conversation these days is ever complete without security. <laughs> so maybe share a little bit about you know how much security improves when we spoke about secure by design and, and some of the benefits you get out of that. But just maybe elaborate a little bit more about security and, and you, the use of IDPs? So I think the IDP is, is, is again, it's, it's, it's sort of a resultant of a lot of things that have, have been happening. I mean, security has always been, as you rightly said, it's, it's an issue on everybody's mind. But I also think there's been a couple of um, catalyst events that have, that have happened, uh, I'd say probably in the last two years, especially when it's, uh, it's around security. I mean, we can... We can go back to um, vulnerabilities that made huge impacts on, on organizations. Log4JG recently is a good example where the whole world woke up one morning and almost every second system out there was vulnerable to some mm. sort of attack. You know, but moreover, you know, if, if software is your business, like, a, like a, a solo wins is a good example where they were producing software and their software was in so many different organizations. And their inefficient practices or, or, or lack of, of, of certain controls or even, you know, honest mistakes went and compromised an entire industry and mm. a customer base, which was, which was incredible. Um, and I think this is putting the emphasis on, well, we need to know what goes into our software because nobody, we spoke earlier, you know, there was a day when you built all of your software by hand yourself yes. from the ground up. But nobody assembles and creates software like that anymore. We're all standing on the shoulders of giants. There are groups and communities out there that have created amazing frameworks for us to use in our own software. 
but that means we need to go and fetch it from somewhere. And do we know what the veracity of that is? So this this ability to go faster is, is sort of also forcing us to take a long, hard look about, okay, how are, how do we know what we're getting is, is, is actually quite good? You know, so, so the emphasis is shifting into that. But as vendors, when we deliver software, we need to make sure we follow the right practices. But somewhere, someone in the middle can still kind of intercept this and, and do something with that piece of software or in, mm. inject it. So we are working with a lot of people in the community to find innovative ways to almost, you know, verify that chain of custody so that you know, from the time that we kind of did the last compile until the time it gets into your hands, there needs to be a complete chain of custody and some sort of way to attest to the provenance. Um, and doing it traditionally, has, that's been difficult, right? It's, it's been a hard thing. It, it involves crypto. It, invol it involves developers knowing signing certificates and all of those types of things. And again, by consolidating that knowledge into this developer platform to say, okay, you know what, I'm not going to let bad things come into my business. Even if a developer is pulling a library from his favorite provider, I want the provider to have signed that and I want to be able to actually attest to that, okay, it is what, it's, what it says it is. Okay, but still, again, hide that complexity away from the developer and, and provide some sort of a guarantee. On the flip side of it, you know, sometimes open source is great, but certain businesses and organizations are operating within a very tight regulatory environment. So they even need to pay attention to the type of license yeah. you know, because the, the world of open source is a quagmire when it comes to licenses, right? There's probably at any given point in time, there's 20, 30 odd different licenses that software can be licensed under. So you also need to have a handle on that. And as a business, you need somewhere to go and enforce what policy, you know, can I, can I use an MIT license or should I steer clear of GPL3 or whatever the case might be? Again, those platforms will be the place that we can consolidate those corporate policies you know, um, for the developers not to get tripped up by that. Yeah, so clearly, lots of value for, for cyber, cyber professionals in this space. Absolutely. It's, it's about putting the knowledge in the central place and you know, it's, it's community, right? We, we, open source has always been about community. Yeah, Create a place to share the knowledge. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, I mean, I think it was just, you know, hit the nail on the head and, and what we're actually seeing are, you know, supply chain oriented attacks where, you know, these kind of big repositories online, you're a Java dev, you're going to Maven or, you know, Node as NPM, PyPI, you know, the, the clever attackers are now going and creating replica libraries that, mm. you know, pretty much backdoor into you know, into, and this is the thing, I mean, you want to move fast, you don't want to encumber your developers with too much stricture, but you have to put in some constraints um, because this is happening more and more and this is a great attack vector, uh, an emerging attack vector. And then of course, conversely, you know, the um, being able to, to validate, um, you know, the final artifact that you're producing, you know, you're <coughs> delivering it potentially to an end user or to an app store or to something else, saying this is my signature and you can, you can look at the you know the heritage and provenance of the entire you know bill of materials that produced it, and mm -hmm. and be able to quickly ra you know very rapidly just say well this is this is everything that's gone into it. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's very powerful to do that you know um, kind of uh, 
you know, out and out across different teams, there's a lot of effort and what you get is a lot of tool sprawl and and often the, the controls are there but really not not imposing constraints. They're not failing your build if you pick up a vulnerability in a library. Yeah. Um, you know, when you start to centralize these capabilities, uh, you can really start to impose and you get a view um, across your, you know, your deployed estate of, you know, what your A, what your um, vulnerability exposure is from software-borne vulnerabilities, B, where, where all your uh, artifacts are out across your, your ecosystem. Yeah, and you're clearly increasing the quality of your delivery and your, and your software as well. Um, one last question from my side. So if we look in the local market and, you know, what's the kind of evolution you're seeing towards IDPs and, you know, are they good use cases or, or case studies you could you could mention? You don't have to mention names, but good examples if you have any. Um, so I'll go first. We, we've definitely got some domestic customers that are kicking off that journey. Um, and, you know, I think quite early early stages right now, um, you know, Gartner's saying platform engineering as a practice is, you know, it's on that kind of, um, that early part of the curve before mm-hmm. we get into that, you know, the plateau of productivity. So it's emergent. I think it's emergent in the broader general market. It's been a staple, you know, in, for internet scale companies for a while. Um, but yes, I do think, you know, this will be the logical evolution. And this kind of solves, I think, a lot of traditional DevSecOps adoption issues at large organizations. So I think we'll start mm-hmm. to see it really accelerate. And obviously, you know, um, where the likes of Red Hat are kind of, you know, you know, bringing things like Janus into the market, we're going to see, uh, my prediction is we'll see this accelerate Acceleration, and be- become, yes. the, become the staple and the norm over a period of time. But it is early days. Mm. So I feel like, you know, the, the one, you know, counsel I'll have is it's daunting, um, but I do think if you if you really kind of weigh up the pros and cons, it solves so many organizational issues in terms of yeah. software supply chain. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I mean, IT teams would be excited about this development. And I think so. The, the one thing that excites me, you know, is a lot of times as, as a vendor, we we interact with the customers and we we try and keep them abreast of what we're doing and what new things we are bringing to the market. But the interesting thing in this space was is that. I've now been having conversations with a number of customers and, and, and some large organizations with very large developer teams where they've actually articulated this is the problem that we're trying to solve in the next 12 months, you know, without saying we're building an IDP, mm. but describing every aspect of what an IDP aims to, to, to deliver, they have been articulating back to me as this is what we want to do. We don't know where to start yet. Okay. But this is where we're going, you know. So it means that it's not just a a problem that, that uh, we inherit from the West just because of uh, the way they are with technology. This is this is something that's inherent and it's got a very localized uh, flavor to it as well where people are already running into this, meaning that, you know, we we aren't behind the curve or anything like that. We, we're all facing exactly the same issues. Not everybody knows how to solve them, you know, and hopefully when we collaborate in these communities and work with them, we'll find some better solutions. Great. Um, in closing, any comments from either of you? Closing comments? I think from my side, it's, it's again, you know, if I can, if I can leave anybody with, with anything in, in, in this world, in, in terms of that, is, is also that um, we need to start embracing the, the, the idea of communities around software much, much more. Uh, I think that's one thing we, we've we've lacked a lot, and especially in a local context, um, we don't always 
we, we're happy to consume stuff that's, that's out there, whether it's free software, open source software, or whatever. But we haven't always been that keen to, to participate in the community. Um, and we, we're seeing in a lot of spaces and, and in some other territories where even if you're an enterprise, even if you're a big bank, by, by participating back into those communities and contributing, not necessarily code or skill or expertise, but just experiences or whatever, mm. we, we're seeing it having a huge, huge impact um, in the quality of software that is actually being built for uh, in the open source space for enterprise. Yeah, and that's actually the theme of open source, right? It, it is what it's supposed to be, but I think I think sometimes we just need to nudge people a bit more, you know, because the yeah. community has a benefit. It's not just altruistic. Um, they, they can definitely benefit from being part of a community. Jillian, your son? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I guess as a technologist and kind of having, you know, really been, uh, you know, on the coal face of Kubernetes adoption and cloud native, um, you know, the explosion of microservices, um, you know, I think we're at a, a kind of an amazing inflection point and it's happened, I think, quite a lot sooner than, than you know, I, I really would have predicted. Um, you know, seeing, seeing the complexity curve, um, seeing what's kind of expected of, you know, your average developer and your average op ops person, security architects, even that what, what needs to be held in everyone's head these days is, I think, significantly more complicated than it, than it used to be, you know, not 15 years ago. And, you know, I, I, I've anticipated for a while that someone, something's going to have to happen to, to really take away some of that complexity, abstract it away, um, and make Kubernetes, you know, plumbing, something that you don't think about. It's just there where your app needs to be. And I think this is where we're headed. Um, and I think this is the next kind of logical evolution. And it's going to encompass a huge amount of other practices, you know, the value stream management, things that are really relevant to business and things that will be quite an enabling from a technology perspective, you know, um, observability-driven developments and GitOps and, you know, even just helping, helping developers uh, build microservices, which is quite complicated as it is. So I think we're, we're at an exciting inflection point. I think it's early days just in terms of platform engineering and IDP. Um, I'm, you know, super glad that I'm, I'm along for the ride with the likes of Red Hat, uh, you know, going to surf this wave. And I also just want to say, you know, I mean, uh, this is what we do for customers. We, you know, we help enable, you know, modern applications, with modern platforms. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I can see, I think we're going to be in business for a little while to come is basically my, my end point, my selfish end point. But we'll be working with the community <laughs> as well. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, for me, I, I see the, the value for software developers to focus on their core capability, which is to deliver functionality for the business rather than having to worry about the soup behind 100%. all of this the plumbing and how, to, on, plumbing yeah. and how yeah. to bring all of this together. I'm sure they're spending an inordinate amount of time figuring those things out and now they can at least focus on their, on their core capability. Yeah, 100%. Gents, it's been very great, exciting, uh, engaging. Thank you very much for your time and appreciate you being here. Thank, Thank you, you very much. I appreciate it. Much appreciated. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Thank you, Chris.